Hey friends, Karen Pennington here. And you know, for about a year, my family got to live somewhere called Chattanooga, Tennessee. Before we moved there, I only knew it from that song about a child called Chattanooga Choo Choo that I always saw when I watched MASH as a kid. I'm really dating myself for those of you who are under 40. <laughs> but uh, pardon me, boy, is that the Chattanooga Choo Choo? Some of you are clapping your fingers and some of you are rolling rolling your eyes right now <laughs> but so anyways we, we went there we lived there um, not too long for about a year I really loved it it was um, top somewhere between my first and third favorite place to live as far as the quality of life and everything that was there in the society might have been number one I did we didn't make as many connections because we weren't there for over a year but I loved it and some of the things Physically about the town that I liked were the things my husband didn't like. He did enjoy his work there. He enjoyed the relationships we made. He didn't like the fact that Chattanooga is a, it's like a bowl. It's it's this valley that's surrounded by mountains. Uh, now my husband is uh, a tad bit on the claustrophobic side. He does love people. Uh, he does not mind meeting new people. He's pretty friendly. He is not real great with closed-in crowds. He doesn't mind being in a room of 100 people that are spread out, <laughs> you know. But uh, he, you know, never been much for concerts, which is fine because I don't like loud music and he doesn't like crowds, so we'll just listen to it at home. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, he always kind of felt like closed-in and he always felt like if there's ever an emergency, we'll never get out of town because there's all these mountains and how will we get through all of the there's only a few few roads that would take us beyond these mountains to get out of town and it felt sunken down low and almost like trapped physically and he's like I, I just don't like the feeling of this almost like it keeps me from breathing and, and it was interesting because I had the exact opposite perspective I loved to me being surrounded on all sides uh I didn't feel like I was trapped by bad stuff. I felt like I was trapped by beauty in a good way. So I just, like to me, everywhere I turned, I could only look up and see these glorious mountains and see this glorious stuff. And it didn't matter that I couldn't see beyond the mountains. I, it mattered that I could see the mountains. And I loved that. And I, like what created a sense of sort of inner, I don't know, chaos and entrapment to my husband it made me feel safe and what you know, the idea of powerlessness for my husband it was like I was consumed by the power of these mountains and I enjoyed what seemed like just this whole limited existence to him to me felt like I have everything I need here I don't need to look beyond it I, I don't like having too many choices <laughs> I'm the person that once I get if there's a restaurant we go to and over and over again, I tend to get settled on the same uh, the same order because otherwise it will take me an hour and a half to order and I'll change it. I just, I'll change my mind a lot. So I just rather settle in. Um, it's part of my existence. Now, I will not say that as a human being, I will not come in and whether my husband and I have greater faith in God. But I will tell you, I had greater faith <laughs> in the goodness of Chattanooga. Uh because where he saw the limitations and the claustrophobia and everything that couldn't happen, I saw comfort and I saw home and I saw the ability to look at the beauty. And 
same place. Our experience was defined not by where we lived, but our perspective of it, you know? Uh, and I think the same is true in our own life. You know, sometimes we go through these valleys and in Colossians, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. In Philippians 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Or is it Philippians 4, 4? And we don't. You know, we don't. <laughs> we, it's really, how are you going to say when you just lost a child, rejoice? You know, how are you going to say somebody falsely accused you? Praise the Lord. But that's what we're supposed to do, right? And I think I'm starting to get it because when I think of Chattanooga, it's a valley, you know? And sometimes when we're in a valley, we feel so trapped. And all we see is how low we are. You know, the, the low, the depression, the air is thinner down there. We see, how am I going to escape this? I'm surrounded on all sides. Um, and there's a song. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And So there's also that. There are these people of great faith that will look down. And even in the valley, they go, oh my goodness, I'm seeing God in a new way. Because I can't see anything else. I have... No, you know, in Chattanooga, we had no other view of anything but the mountains. So sometimes when we're in that pit of despair, it's hard to see it as a blessing because we feel caged in, we feel limited, we feel low. But the reality is sometimes, I'm not going to say God caused it. That's above my pay grade. But like Tony Evans says, if God allows it, God will use it. Sometimes God allows for the removal of these things that we think are good because we're looking at them instead of God. And when those things are removed and when we're at our lowest and we can't see beyond the mountains, it means we see the mountains. We can't see beyond just God. When God's all we have to reach for, then we reach for God. Is there a greater blessing than that, right? So I'm, I'm looking at the prophet Jeremiah this morning. I have no idea other than maybe, maybe just God led me there how this verse came to mind. It was not in my regular reading. I have regular go through the Bible. I put myself on a regiment um, just of reading through the Bible and studying and letting it lead me and chasing rabbit holes of questions as I study. And uh, it's fun. But this one came out this morning for no good reason other than it just did. <laughs> and Lamentations pretty much by definition, is a book of the valley. It was a book that was written spiritually from the valley. If a book is called, I'm lamenting, <laughs> this is probably not going to be a book where there's a lot of tambourines and celebrations. But within this valley, there is a greater reason for hope, a more defined reason for hope given than in almost all scripture. Now, scripture gives us tons of reasons for hope. I'm not saying that, but there is just something so definite and defined and so deep in this reason that this, uh, probably the prophet Jeremiah wrote it, or at least somebody within his area, somebody within the influence of Jeremiah wrote it. It was written at a time in history for when Jeremiah was known at a place we know Jeremiah was at, which is, and as far as where it was put in the canon, in the, in the Bible itself, in the Old Testament, it's put right after 
the book of Jeremiah. So he was really, he struggled with depression. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. Just read scripture. He struggled with depression. So why? He had good reason. I mean, he had super, super good reason. So Jeremiah started ministering as a prophet during the time of Josiah, which if he was not the best king in Israel's history, he was definitely top three. Hezekiah did a good job. David did a good job. Josiah did a, a good job. There were a couple other decent ones between there. Um, I was, in my own mind, I put jo Josiah above all of them because the other ones had what I'd call stupid periods. They, <laughs> they turned from God, like their lifestyle turned from God in certain ways. And David came back. Not sure if Hezekiah ever came back, but uh, Josiah doesn't show any signs of this. He's just somebody who started young and just decided on his own to stay faithful to God, took good counsel. And because of that, God did not end Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel, did not end its lifespan, its lifespan, did not have it destroyed in the time of Josiah. Now, I think I've said a few times, there was this nation of Israel that split by the fourth king, you know, only about 100 and 130 years into the kingship, the, the nation split in two. And so this is the northern kingdom of Israel went wrong right away, 100 and something years before that. <laughs> they were overtaken by the Assyrians. So we have this, the southern kingdom of Judah. And Josiah was able to save them for a few years for his rules of reign, years of reign, 41 years, I think, I believe. But as good of a king as he was, he didn't seem to be a very effective father because Josiah had three sons who ended up becoming kings. They were all bad, <laughs> all bad. First one lasted two months. And uh, it was right after Josiah was killed by the king of Egypt, Pharaoh Necho. Pharaoh Necho didn't like his first son, Jehoahaz, so he deposed him because he could and put his um, younger brother Jehoiakim under rule. Jehoiakim was not good. And he, uh, he just didn't do what he was told a lot. He was just not, he bowed down to Egypt. He made rule, he made nice with Egypt instead of making nice with God. So, uh, he was there 11 years. And then when he died, his younger brother, Jehoiakim started to rule, but then, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, somebody else had overtaken him and they, he said, no, I don't like you either. <laughs> And so he got taken out and his uncle ruled. So I get the Jehoiakim was actually the son. So it was Josiah's older son, then the younger son, then the grandson, then went back to another son of Jehoiakim. So three, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, they were all bad. And Zedekiah eventually just led to the absolute, I'm not just talking about the fall of the nation. There was a total desolation of Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar, the Assyrian who overtook him, Tried once, then there was rebellion again. He did stuff in Jerusalem, kind of laid siege to it, attacked it. Um, and then there was more rebellion. God said, stop rebelling against them, their punishment. And then he did it again a few years later. And then finally in 587 BC, the entire city was sacked. I mean, totally sacked. The temple was destroyed. The gold from the temple was taken away probably billions of dollars of gold taken away. The people of the city were taken out of the city. They only left the very poorest of the poor there. 
everybody else was taken. He had already, um, first deportation, he took the richest and the ruling class over to show them how to be the good Babylonians. And so here we have Jeremiah, who was allowed to stay in the city. Jeremiah was allowed to stay in the city because he had been telling them all along, number one, return to God. Number two, stop playing nice with Egypt. Egypt has never been a good idea. They're our oppressor. And number three, just receive what God's giving you from the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, same people, because God's sending them and fighting against them is not going to help you. He just kept saying that over and over and over again. Well, so the Babylonians didn't mind him saying that because it benefited them. So he was okay. He was, um, they knew that he was even thrown into jail by King Zedekiah for telling him, stop fighting the Babylonians. So he was allowed to roam free, but now where he was roaming free was the city that was just a ghost town. Uh, Jeremiah 1.1, he says, how deserted lies the city once so full of people. And he laments because he knows that Jerusalem did it to themselves. He'd been crying out at this point for decades and saying this is going to happen. He knew it was going to happen, you know. One uh, Lamentations 1.8, Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honor her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. So on one hand, He's lamenting for the physical fall of the city. But he's lamenting for Jerusalem almost as if as if it is like a human being, a woman who has lost her value, who has lost her purity, who's lost her honor. Especially in these days, a daughter, a father whose daughter, or even a brother whose sister has lost this. There's it's not just about poverty. It's not just about desolation. It's not just about not having that physical glory. It's We've lost like all sense of it. Everything's been lost. Everything's lost. And we did it to ourselves. And he laments about how angry God is at Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting. A lot of times, if we're going to directly talk about talk the way that they talk in the Old Testament, specifically the Hebrew, it's some of the same issues as... English, only more so. They have male nouns and female nouns. So a lot of times we talk he, 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 they, he. Talking about Jerusalem is talking, it's she. The pronoun is she. Partly because the word for city, the word for Jerusalem, those are feminine nouns. Um, In other languages, there's feminine, masculine, and neuter, sometimes nouns. This is a feminine noun. But partly because Jerusalem and Israel overall is kind of seen as the bride where Christ or at this point, God, because Christ hasn't been born yet, God is the father or the room. But God is sort of that male protector, the lover, the provider, uh, the encourager. And he cherishes Jerusalem, um, sometimes as a child, but this child has abandoned him and thus abandoned their own value. And it's funny, we talk about sometimes the cloud of gods as with the Israelites. There was this cloud of protection. There was this cloud of guidance. And in Lamentations 2.1, he says, How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with a cloud of his anger. And here's a really hard one. Lamentations 2.5, The Lord is like an enemy. He swallowed up Israel. 
two verses later, the Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. Oh my goodness, what a downer. This is like the valley language, right? <laughs> and yet there's a point, even in all of this, even in all of this, where it flips, it kind of flips from physically, <laughs> my husband not liking the valley, to what I like about the valley. And I'm going to read, forgive me, I'm switching translations. I started with Common English Bible. I think the New Revised Standard Version uses one or two words that make it a little bit more clear here. So, obviously, there's this prophet. Nobody listened to him. Nobody listened to him. They even threw him in jail. Some people wanted to take his life just for telling the truth. And now, oh yeah, he, yay, he has the favor of King Nebuchadnezzar, the hated emperor. But he's left in the city of desolation. All his friends have been taken away. Only the poorest of the poor are there. Only the outcasts are there. And even more so than the people, just the city itself is a ghost town. He saw death to greatness and glory that was supposed to reflect God. And here's what he says. We're talking about Lamentations 3. We're going to start with 19. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. Ugh. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. If that's not a definition of, of depression, I don't know what it is. And my soul is continually downclassed. All I can think about is all the brokenness in my city and myself. But it's the but verse. <laughs> that sounded bad. Uh, Lamentations 3.21, I call to mind, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in it. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It's good that one should wait for the salvation of the Lord. That's 19 to 26. So it's like I get this picture. Again, I'm thinking of my beloved valley. Chattanooga was prettier than broken Jeremiah, so I'll say that. But at some point right here, he's kind of navel-gazing. He's looking down. He's looking around him at all this brokenness. And then finally, he chooses to look beyond himself, to look beyond his circumstances, to rise above the valley and look to the mountains. Because his choices are to look down and be downcast, to look around and be depressed because the stuff around him is not looking so good either or to look up and cast a glance of God's glory which at this point is so far enhanced in contrast to the physical muck he's going through. See sometimes it takes the valleys in our lives so that we can recognize God's mountainous glory. Sometimes it takes the brokenness within us to appreciate and even receive God's wholeness and perfection 
that moves so far beyond us and yet can invade us and fill us. Because sometimes when it's easier to say hallelujah, we do it because we're grasping to the things God gives us instead of grasping at God. So I really do believe that often greater hope comes not in the victories, but in the trials. See, the word hope, I've said this before, uh, the word is elpis, elpis in Greek. I can't remember the Hebrew word, but it means the same thing. It means confident expectation. You can't hope for something you already have. You're grateful for things you already have. And if it was in God's will to give us everything we were supposed to have at this very, very moment, to just give it to us and we wouldn't have to wait for it, then we wouldn't need hope. And quite frankly, we wouldn't enjoy it as much. We'd take it for granted. So hope is defined and perfected within the valleys. So we can thank the Lord, whether or not you like the city of Chattanooga. <laughs> and my husband, he doesn't mind it so much, but I get it. Whether or not you like it, we can rejoice those very things that we think are meant to break us, often God uses to make us. Those very things that are meant to, to burn us alive, God uses to refine us. And it shows what we're made of. Because you know what? That fire hurts. I love this. Verse 21. Or verse 20. Why am I having a hard time with this? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. These trials, I have another verse that I'm having a hard time finding here, but it's important. There we go. The trials will come, they will burn me, they will hurt me, but they will not consume me because the things they will burn out were not worth having anyways. And the things that remain will be purer and stronger and more defined. This from a person who doesn't always love physical fire but I sure appreciate the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's not something to fear. It's not something to fabricate. We just let God do the work that God's supposed to do. It may be hard, but it's good. It's good. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Even this morning, we thank you for your fire. And while we would never ask for the fire of trials, we just have to say we trust you, God. We know that you can use anything, Lord Jesus. Thank you for how you're using this pandemic, this social unrest, all of this in us, Lord, to remind us that our hope is not in a country, in a ruler, in a physical health, even in a doctor. It's not in a vaccine. It's not beyond a vaccine. It's not with or without any kind of medical thing, Lord. We will try to be faithful in making right choices and respecting others' choices. But our hope is in you, God. Our hope is neither in the valley or beyond the valley. 
It's in your mountains to glory. And then when you allow us to live comfortably at those points, when you allow us the earthly victory, when you allow us to see beyond the mountains, see beyond just your presence to what you're doing, we're grateful because there's a reason. But even now, for so many of us who are sitting in the valley, you're enough. And my prayers for those who are sitting in the valley but who don't see your glory, God. If they know who you are but don't know you intimately, Lord, Speak to their heart, whether it's a word of salvation to draw them into you or just a word of encouragement that you're enough and so they're enough, Lord. May it be so and be glorified, Lord. And even as we say, be lifted up, we know you're lifted up already. Lift our eyes up so we can see you, God. Sometimes we're just too downcast to even know to lift our heads. So lift our heads for us, Lord. In your name, amen. Be blessed and may you experience God's glory in a life altering way no matter what level valley mountain anywhere in between you are today